politically I, charged? Well, that I don't. Can we just pull that? Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Do, 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 okay. Uh, not the politically charged stuff. Sometimes I'm okay with that. It's when I don't know anything about the subject. There was a recent show that we didn't even post to the to the YouTube page because I was like, let's just forget that show ever happened because it was that bad. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it, I am the opposite. I just start talking. I preface it with, I don't really know what I'm saying, but I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with it. Yeah. And then that's where I get into trouble. That works. I I have years of experience of holding my tongue working in corporate environments. What so, did you do before? What did uh, you do in a past life? In a past life. I, that's what I call them too. Like past jobs or past lives. I worked in media. Well, what else did I do? So I worked for Bicoastal Media, which is a very corporate entity. And I was the host of Power 96.3, which is the longest running station in Humboldt County. So, yeah. So that was very corporate. That was very much anything I said that could be seen as too far was I had my boss suddenly knocking on my door and being like, we got to talk. And I'm like, oh, no. Not what again. I, not again. Not again. <laughs> I would imagine it's kind of a feeling of relief being over where you are now with Access Humboldt because you kind of have a little more leeway with what you can get away with. Or do you? Is that an assumption I'm making well, wrong? Well, I went from talking about Kim Kardashian and introducing the newest pop hits to interviewing local individuals about topics that are relevant currently. So talk radio versus, hey, everyone, aren't you excited? Ew. I, the so, Backstreet Boys are going back on tour. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm guessing you don't really miss that. I do actually. I do. Really, you like that stuff? I loved it. I am. Did you like the content or just being able to talk with the audience and kind of do your own thing on there? Yeah. Well, I enjoy music. I love music a lot. And then the fact that the main age group was parents and their kids was kind of nice because I got a lot of feedback from kids just being like, "This is so cool! Like, thanks for playing my song. Can I hear this one?" And I remember being that kid calling into the radio station being like, can you, can you play the newest Britney Spears? I love the wallflowers. Play more wallflowers. And so, so I kind of, I was like, hey, it's, you know, payback time for all the DJs that I bothered when I was a kid. And the I thought DJ it was thing was huge back in the day. I, oh, they, it was I, big. I wish I would have been around to see that. I, I wish I were working when that happened. That the 70s, cool. the, the DJ, the ambiance, the, you're running the show. Yeah. You're out on the radio. You're a radio guy. Now it's like, oh, you're doing radio? That's what you're doing? Well, not necessarily. I, it still has some... I mean, I also... I wait tables and bartend. That does not come with the same prestige as me having certain other jobs in my life, but that's how I always... When I'm introduced to people or people ask me what I do, I go, I, I wait tables. Just because I, I want them to be their genuine selves. Is that the rain? That's the rain. Oh, gosh. I know. it's The weather outside is a little hectic today. It's supposed to snow tomorrow. I didn't know that. Or Wednesday, Thursday. So So you um, open with, um, I do this. You don't open with, oh, yeah, I'm doing my own Access Humboldt show. No. Gosh, no. Because when people find out you're in media, they treat you differently than if they find out you're in the service industry. And I... I trust 
how people act to their if I'm on a date or something and they treat their waiter terribly, they're out. And the way people react to me when they find out I'm in the service industry is how I judge them forever. Like, you know, guys will hit on me or something and be like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I wait tables. Or I'm or I'll even say like I'm a host or or something that people consider, which not that there's rankings. Everybody's very, very, very important in a restaurant. Um, dish pit is actually the most important position. And the way people treat somebody or treat me finding out that, oh, your service industry. Then they find out later and they're suddenly interested. They're like, you need to lead with that. And I'm like, no, I don't. They you know? find out about the Access Humble show. Uh, not the Access Humble show. Or just, just media radio. or anything else I do. I mean, I'm, I have a lot of different jobs. It's juggle a lot of different balls because you have to it's the humble hustle and you either get good at it or you, you got to go somewhere and work a nine-to-five where you can afford that life just working a nine-to-five so it's kind of your litmus test yeah to gauge a person's character oh, absolutely it's a it's a great way to judge people it's kind of sad that that has to be a litmus test that oh yeah you have to gauge somebody how they're going to respond by saying oh yeah this is what i do for work well, uh, not in terms of of you having to use that, but in terms of people looking down on that right. field of work. Yeah, I, I agree. People are strange, and they have these preconceived notions in their head of what is appropriate for a person to do. What is an adult job versus what is not an adult job? And the funny thing is, all my coworkers in the service industry, most of them also have other jobs. Uh, some of them are teachers. Or which that's the that's the worst part, because you think a teacher should be making enough to just teach like that is like, have you dealt with children? <laughs> there are a lot. And that should be just one of the full time job. That should be a full. That is a full time job. You, they take it home and then they have to go and, you know, wait tables to make ends meet. It's just ridiculous. It's just preposterous to me. So. I don't tell anybody I do a podcast. I keep that. That's not my litmus test. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do, tell anybody. What do you do in real life? I do construction stuff. I do upholstery, yeah. labor jobs. Yeah. Nothing special. I lead with that. It. I've never used it as a litmus test, but you can kind of gauge somebody's response and they're like, oh, that's what you do? You're like, oh, okay. Make a mental note of that. Right. Well, then there's also the other side of people finding out you're in media or, oh, you've got a podcast. You actually have a pretty successful podcast. Well, let's not get crazy. I mean, it's it's not you have a you have a podcast that's actually a podcast. I have a garage with a podcast. You do. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. getting up there, you know. You have a garage. <laughs> a lot of people don't have a garage. There's a lot True. of people who started out in garages and I remember my friend running, she has a death podcast that just all death topics. I think I forget which one I was on. I wanted to do dead death presidents. like a crime? Death or death like sometimes, just people dying? Okay. Sometimes. Uh, I wanted to do a dead presidents one. Talk about how presidents died and things like that. But I did one instead, which was prison deaths or something like that. And maybe strange, mysterious, like, did they really you know? Epstein didn't kill himself sort of stuff. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But she was sitting in her room and had it like all padded and stuff. Because that's what you have to do. I'm working on my own home studio right now, and it's not, it's not good. It's really, this is, this is actually pretty amazing. I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, I started on a pool table at my parents' house, 
So, <laughs> humble beginnings, I think, is so what everybody I, starts. So did I. No. <laughs> yeah, it's right? A totally different Isn't scenario. that the standard? Isn't that no, why we all no. start? <laughs> yeah. It's it's a fun process kind of creating your own thing. I'm sure you know all about that. Yeah. It's fun. That's Fun. Sure. It comes with its own troubles, but it's fun. I enjoy it. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy getting to meet you. Right? I was like, have we even met before? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. I, I was wondering because I had a friend in school with your same name, and I was like, Is like in grade happened? school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, what would he be doing in Humboldt? Uh, it's a small world. Running a podcast. Running a podcast. Doing construction. What, what else is anybody doing in Humboldt County? How long have you been doing your show? So Thursday Night Talk, that's actually how I came across yes. you. Thursday Night Talks has been running far longer than I've been hosting. It was part of KHSU for for at least a decade. Uh, it was Lorna, um, Lorna Bryant. Um, I feel bad if I messed up her name. Uh, though she was the host for a very long time. When KHSU left, the show left. And so now there's a resurgence happening where they tried it with uh, Eric, who also hosts Redwood Wonk. And Eric, I think, I think this was a story. Eric just was doing a lot of other things. So that night, who's the producer, was all, hey, tell me, <laughs> what are you up to uh, on every Thursday night for the rest of your life? And I went, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. Which I, I'm on the board for Access Humble, and I felt it was a way to give back because one of the biggest one of the biggest factors is get content. Try to get content for Access Humboldt because it's a local radio station, local TV show or stations. So, so I went, okay, <laughs> here's my contribution. Let me see what I can do. And so far, it's it seems to be doing pretty well. People respond well to it. I'm happy about that. A lot of people who watched or listened to the show before came back and started listening again, and they think I'm doing great, so so good. Sometimes I, f I have a show, and I go, oh, man, I did terrible. And then, you know, the producer and everyone's like, that was awesome. And I'm like, okay, okay. I didn't completely flub that one. Oh. I had uh, Matt Knight on the podcast. And that's all oh. he talked about was, oh, yeah, we need content. Content is the name of the game. Yeah. We're just always looking to fill a spot. I'm surprised he didn't convince you to put. He tried. He, he worked on it. My only hang up was the censorship aspect of being on the radio. And uh. I think you had to limit some words for their online content, maybe, too. The seven. Just the seven. The seven deadly, deadly words. Yeah. 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 He was yeah. telling me about that. And that's kind of. It's not too difficult. You just kind of bleep it out or. Pretty much just go through and bleep them out, and it's easy. He'd probably do it for you. Mm -hmm. And you, oh, for radio, you definitely have to. For the TV station, if it contains content that could be inappropriate for, say, a, a young audience, it just played at night. Do you guys have a problem in that regard of people just not wanting to put content out because of the censorship, or is it just people creating content? It's people creating content. We are in a very small community. So there's, what, 38,000 people in Eureka, 75,000, 78,000 or something like that in all of Humboldt County. And the cool part about Humboldt is everybody's an artist. Literally everybody is doing something amazing. It's just, do they have the tech to record it? Do they even know that Access Humboldt's there? And that's another 
one of at least my missions being on the board is make sure people know about Access Humboldt because you can rent all the equipment. They'll rent, you know, microphones, computers, everything so that the content can be created and they'll teach you how to use it. So pretty awesome that we've got that here, though. I think maybe people sometimes have all these ideas and they just don't know how to form it into, you know, when you had an idea for a podcast, you started off on a pool table. I'm sure you weren't like, man, I'm going to be sitting in a garage one day with all this really super cool equipment making this the best show I can. I, you know, as a kid with my little tape recorder recording random commercials to, you know, with me and my friends trying to be like, I'm going to be a DJ one day. You know, it, it wasn't, I had no idea what I was doing back then. And I wish Access Humble had been a program, though there weren't, there weren't media creator programs where I grew up, which is ridiculous to say because I grew up in Orange County. So I'm sure they're where I just didn't know about them. Uh, maybe if I grew up at one of the cool artsy schools in, in Los Angeles, I would have been like, oh, look at all this stuff. Uh, I didn't even know it was an option. And had no idea that, oh, all it would have taken as a kid would have been for me to go to, say, you know, anybody else creating content, probably yearbook people or something like that, and being like, I want to do that. Well, and I think that's, I mean, you guys provide a great resource yeah. with the equipment, with the instructions. I think it's just getting people to acknowledge, oh, this is there. Like, take advantage of it, because yeah. I would have utilized you guys had I known about you, but I didn't find out, right. I think, until a little while before Matt came on. Yeah. It's just, you guys <laughs> are kind of tucked away. And I went to Eureka High School, and I didn't know you guys were over there oh, when yeah. I was in school. Yeah, we well, we just moved over to College of the Redwoods, but we were there for a while. A long time. It felt very odd the first time I went to sign up, because I hadn't been on a high school campus for so long, and I was like, flashbacks, <laughs> flashbacks to high school, oh no. And so I, but I walked up and got, you know, signed up for everything and took some classes and that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> but yeah, there was a student program over at Eureka High School. Now there is a student program over at CR. There's still the, uh, there's still a student program for high school students. I think it's discounted or free if you're a student to join Access Humboldt and the classes then are free and Equipment rentals still cost a little bit. It's like something like $7, you know, it's. Which is nothing compared to the price nothing. of the equipment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely nothing. This is some really nice stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the goal is getting the word out there. We're working with the libraries right now, trying to at least create a display over at the main Eureka library that just you know this is access humble you can be on tv you can be a tv star locally if you can <laughs> humble famous you can be humble famous which doesn't every kid dream of being humble famous yeah it's up there probably <laughs> and so you kind of took up the mantle for thursday night talk just to fill that content void yeah and because it's something i wanted to do i figured it's a great step for me to I don't like not being in media in some facet or another so when I left the corporate media world I went and joined an airline <laughs> and that was fun um a whole different corporate world and I missed I missed having a show I missed being in front of a microphone and talking to people or just listening to stories but also having some sense of I'm helping you know it's 
I, I like being somehow part of. I'm one of the, I'm a joiner. There are some people who are like, oh, you know, who cares about anything like that? And, you know, school assemblies and stuff, things like that. I was always a kid raising my hand being like, I'll do it. I'll always do it. I, I volunteer as tribute, you know, let's let's do it all. And it's a good outlet for me. I need some sense of uh, accountability too in my life. It forces me to pay attention to what's going on in Humboldt County. And there's always a lot going on and it's hard to turn my mind off anyway, but this gives me a, I'm going to focus on this this week because I'm going to have guests talking about it and it helps me force my mind to not over intake information. Just like I'm focusing on this this week. Yes. I'm going to read other articles and figure stuff out and talk to other people about different things, but let's, this is the main subject. Let's, let's discuss. So you can kind of hone in your focus a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes it's, That's the goal. That's not necessarily the actuality. So are you doing a lot of prep work for your shows? Or are you uh, just kind of reading articles based on where you want to take it that week? So it depends. Sometimes I'll, I'll have an idea. Sometimes Matt, the producer, has his ideas. Which which can be a little difficult because I'm like I have nothing I have no clue when it comes to things when it comes to certain topics I just I don't know anything about it and so then I have to really dig deep and be like okay uh, and and there is an issue with having a weekly show where finding the right guests to be on it and then having them actually show up there's an issue in Humboldt County of getting people which I'm sure you're very aware of. Uh, getting people to be there and sometimes we have to last minute switch things out which can change the entire dynamic of a show if i have three guests and one is specialized in this another specialized in this another specialized in that i want to try to talk about what they're specializing in and so if one person leaves and another person joins and they have a completely different thing going on in their life i go, oh, okay, I've got, you know, an hour <laughs> how to figure out how to make it so this person feels like they aren't a last minute toss in because they're not, you know, I mean, sometimes they are, but. You want to make them feel included, like they're a real part asset to the conversation. Yeah. And I want them to be an asset. And that's the job of a host is you create a space where people can talk about what they're good at talking about. And sometimes trying to push boundaries a little bit. That is one thing. Sometimes I, I get done with the show and I go, wow, I really should have pushed harder on this. But it's a one-hour show once a week. It's not exactly, you know, it's not me having four hours, five days a week to talk. Well, I mean, the overall talking for a music station is very different. But, yeah, I, I try. <laughs> I that try. is a hard line to walk. The... Pressing too hard, but not overpressing. Yeah. And I'll notice, especially I've had to for I force myself to to rewatch episodes because the goal is to get better at what I do. At least in my mind, everything I do, I'm like, I want to get better at it. Even if I'm just waiting tables, I you know, you run through your mind of like, I forgot to get that person their to-go box. I forgot to get this. I need to really be focused on this. I need to pay attention to uh, what, you know, if I work with this person, they need this more. 
like support in this way more, whereas this person needs this support. Like I always try to be like, what am I going to do better next time? And the same with anything, including hosting a show. It's, it's okay. I need to, you know, I need to be more refreshed. I need to get more sleep. I need to, <laughs> I need to research more about uh, what people do beyond just, because I get people's, I get a, sometimes, Sometimes I'll bring the guests on. Sometimes Matt finds the guest. Usually it's Matt doing all the coordinating, which is weird having a producer too because when I worked in corporate media, I was doing everything. It was production, running my own soundboard, hosting, writing my own content. Uh, it, it was, you know, trying to do sales pitches and stuff like that while doing that all. So it was all me. And so now I suddenly have a producer and I think that's great. I was like, wow, this is... This is really nice, though it's having that open communication. And we we tried for a minute where like we'd have a call once a week a few days before and be like, hey, what's the update? What's going on? What are we doing with the show uh, this week? And that would give me time to be like, okay, let me prepare better. And then we stopped doing that for a minute. And I was like, nope, no, we need to go back. We need to go back to that. We need to have because my mind will go all over the place and like, what is the actual concept of this show needs to be pinned down for me, especially when I get guests that I want to talk to them about a million other things. I'm like, wow, I got this person on this show, but we're talking about this. And I really want to talk to them about that, but I have to save it for a different show. I'm not sure if that answered your question. I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I was going more so the the forcefulness, or not forcefulness, but knowing. The walking the line. Yeah, knowing when too much is too much. Because I feel like I yeah. can, I struggle with that. And I, do, I don't want to be Howard Stern. I kind of, well. Okay, I kind of do want to uh, be mean, Howard right? Stern. We all want to be Howard Stern with the ability to do whatever you want. But you don't want to be Howard Stern. Be, well, I don't want to personally I want the ability to do, want the freedom to do whatever. But well, I, think, I don't know. I'd have everyone like doing a chicken dance or something. It would just be the chicken dance. That would be your go-to. Well, I don't know. First thing I came up with. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's. I think Howard Stern is Howard Stern for the same reason Barbara Walters is Barbara Walters, yeah. and it's that they were willing to ask the questions everybody wanted to ask, but some people would stop themselves from asking. I think that's what separates a great interviewer from a good one is knowing. It's not only that, it's a comfort level. When people sit down with Barbara Walters, she would, I mean, sometimes she would press. And actually there was, I've watched quite a bit of Barbara Walters. There were some times where I was like, wow, you are, she's being a bully. And I, not to speak ill of, of the deceased, she did a, a fantastic job. Some, I don't know if I really want to make people feel that uncomfortable, but then there'd be times where she just connects with a guest and they just open up to her. And the same with Howard Stern. Somehow he got people really, really comfortable and they let their defenses down so much that they'd say things that would haunt them for the rest of their lives. And I guess that would be great to have. I would love to be a comfort for other people for different reasons than what Howard Stern wants and perhaps for a different reason than than what Barbara Walters wants, which they both want the ratings. I'll take the ratings, too. I mean, I get 50 views <laughs> on YouTube. I know more people watch it on TV and, and listen to it on radio, but it's always hard to to know what 
what is your viewership and what do people want unless they give you feedback, which was one thing that working in corporate, I had a, you know, I had a telephone with a direct line and people got comfortable enough with me being on air that they just call me up and start talking about their day, which wouldn't go on air. I'd be like, I have to do a job. You know, <laughs> it's, I'm here to talk about, you know, Britney Spears latest episode. I'm not here to talk about, you know, but I'd sit there and talk to people because I felt for them, you know, it was cute. I had this one grandma, you know, she had kids that had moved away and she was just lonely and she called me all the time. And I, I was like, I have to get off the phone now. And she'd be like, okay, well, did you know, like the mailman came by the other day and I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Um, we've been on the phone for 30 minutes. <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> like I have a show to do. <laughs> so you really like that feedback aspect coming from the audience. Yes. And I far prefer it from the audience than my boss. <laughs> That's for sure. That was uh, one thing in corporate that not be, uh, I like feedback in any form if it's actu actually going to be helpful. Uh, constructive criticism. Constructive criticism is amazing. Uh, the you suck part is not amazing. The you got to do things my way. I'm like, then you hired me to be in front of this microphone. You, know, you paid me minimum wage to be in front of a microphone while everyone gets paid five times as much. Do you want me to host or to run the show or do you not? Like, I'd, I wouldn't say it like that, obviously, because you don't talk to your boss like that. But it it was very frustrating sometimes to to have this super high standard over my head when when there was no good jobs. I I need that positive affirmation sort of. It was all critical. It, it felt very down. all critical. I mean, for every, you know how they say, like, for every one criticism, you're supposed to give five positive critiques. You know, for every negative, you give five positives or something like that. Um, should be 10 positives. So that way you don't break somebody down. You know, uh, like when you go up to somebody, you're like, oh, uh, you know, if it's... <laughs> I have an inner child. So I always like refer to, you know, when you're trying to teach a kid what to do and, you know, you're trying to teach him to draw, you know, you go, oh, that's wonderful. Your color theory is really there. Uh, if if you want to sharpen those lines, let me show you how, uh, you know, like it kind was guide them a little bit, guide them. Yeah. Instead of instead of you suck and you're terrible, you're never going to be an artist. You should just throw that away and, you know pick up a dustbin because you're going to, you know, you're going to be sweeping hallways for the rest of your life, which that's a great job too. No, no, don't offense anybody out there who does that. That's a hard job. Uh, but yeah, it kind of felt like that in corporate environments of, you know, and, and then I'd be, have listeners that would give a lot of positive feedback. And so I kind of enjoyed that. And it was nice to connect with people when they were like, wow, you know, I felt really good or I, I felt educated or I felt because I always tried to I'm a little bit of a nerd sometimes. So I tried, especially knowing that my audience and my demographic was uh, people with kids in their cars driving them to school uh, or students. I'd be like, oh, let me let me slip some science in there. Let me, you know, my trivia questions would be 
according to, to my coworkers and my boss, they were like, what are you asking these people to answer? And I'm like, these are... These are things that you learn in, in, you know, in grade school, and a lot of people forget them, but it's basic science. So, you know, asking about cloud types or weather systems or planetary matters, it, it'd just be like, hey, like, which constellation is, does this? And those would be my trivia questions where they're like, no, just ask them what the number one, you know, pickle flavor is. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to ask them, you know, do you know the enzyme process of creating pickles. <laughs> and and so I got a lot of feedback on on that from listeners, and I enjoyed that part. The part, I like making people feel good. Perhaps that's why I like refuse to get out of the service industry too. It's just food and drinks and entertainment are really easy ways to make people happy. I mean, I wouldn't say easy. <laughs> There's a lot that goes on in order to make people feel good about themselves. Though it's a way to do it, you know, you can have a show and play a song for somebody and they feel really special. Like that, you know, that DJ played my song for me and I love that song and I got to listen to it and all my friends got to hear my name on the radio and I'm a special individual. And it's like, yeah, you are special and you do deserve somebody to play a song that you want to hear. You know, I, I loved I love doing that. And so to go behind the scenes and have my boss be like, you suck today. <laughs> it's just like, well, oh. I would imagine it sucked a little bit in the sense that it sounds like your audience was giving you positive feedback, and then your boss majority is, your majority. boss is saying no, you're doing this wrong, which would kind of fuck with your head a little bit. I would imagine because yeah. you're getting the audience likes it, which is who you're trying to appeal to, but right. your boss doesn't want you to do this this well, way. What they're worried about is money, and I the bottom line the bottom line is money. Though I was bringing in money. I had sponsorships. So was it just you weren't doing it the way that they wanted you to do it? I don't know. It was very confusing sometimes. It was... I did appreciate... Uh, she doesn't even work in, this, in the county anymore. She retired. <laughs> like, I left and, like, five other people left. <laughs> so so it's, I don't know what that means. But she was... I think she was ready for retirement anyway. Um, Though she would do some cool things. I'm not going to say like it was all bad. But This is your boss? The former boss. The former boss. Former boss. Former boss. Yeah, this is corporate world, which I've worked in several corporate media scapes, and this is just one of them. Um, if, if anybody out there is listening to this, which I doubt any of those, anybody that I worked under would, but uh, it's probably not you I'm talking about. So <laughs> just assume it isn't, because... All of my bosses in Humboldt County have been wonderful and fantastic. They have no issues to them. Love them so much. Uh, send me your address and I'll give you a Christmas card. <laughs> uh, the, the one good thing was when, because I started off, I didn't have formal training. I started off doing media as a little kid with my tape recorder, splicing a tape together, uh, listening to the radio, recording songs, making albums, like mixtapes off the radio and recording, like when I finally got a CD, I think I was maybe 10, like a CD player tape, double tape deck. Very exciting because you could record from one to the other and then have the CD player and it had a little microphone thing. So you could talk into the, like I didn't have a microphone attachment, but like you could talk into it. I thought it was the coolest thing. 
And I remember just sitting there, like, working on my own as a, as a little kid, trying to figure things out. And then my mom started a DJ business when I was 13. Uh, so I would, with her, and here's how I ended up behind the microphone, is, is she had a boyfriend. That's why she started the DJ business. He wanted to retire or stop doing his, uh, he had, like, some analysis position for testing toxins in in construction environments essentially or like big building environments he tests for asbestos and things like that he hated it and so my mom's like okay well like you want to be a dj and then he had a unfortunately he had a horrible alcohol problem and so as a kid i would go and help set up and be his roadie and then he'd drink himself under the table and i would take over and i was kind of there to make sure that he was okay um, and not causing too many problems because he would lose jobs for doing that. Uh, note to everyone out there, you will lose jobs if you're a raging alcoholic on the clock. Uh, wait till after. Wait till after the show. <laughs> and uh, So I'd step in as like a 13-year-old. I'd step in and be this DJ for like bat mitzvahs and weddings and things like that. And so I didn't have the formal training. So one thing, uh, especially for commercial radio, and I started off as a board operator and sound technician doing all that for like actually getting paid for it, which was awesome. And then, you know, recording commercials and doing the sound editing for that. And then, you know, was a producer for a DJ for, for a minute. And then they were like, hey, it's your turn to sit in the seat. And I went, you know, I applied for the job as everybody has to do, even if you're in the same company. That's another I just love giving tips and tricks to people. Even if you're in a company and you think you're up next for the position, uh, you still got to apply. You can keep talking. I'm sorry. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties. Oh, no. Which is... I'm like, I'll just keep going. Yeah, you can just keep going <laughs> if you'd like. Okay. Well, let me water break. Sorry about that. I've learned that in the world of podcasting, if something can go wrong... Oh, it will. It will. And that's... You just... You just deal with that. Yeah. That's all part of the fun. I literally had my entire computer shut down during a show. Oh! Mm -hmm. Did it save the show? So we record live. Okay. Uh, but suddenly me disappearing as a host is not a good thing. <laughs> it might mess with the ambulance. Yeah. A little bit. Oh, yeah. I could see that happening. I, I just re-logged in with my phone for it, but... Uh, yeah, so, anywho, I didn't have formal training. And so I started well, off... Well, starting out at 13 years old, just being thrown into the fire is almost the best way you could be trained. You just have to yeah, but roll that was, the punches. that was a live DJ sort of thing. How long did that last? Did the, the... Did any shows or did any radio execs say, hey, why is this 13-year-old So it wasn't... It? Okay, so it wasn't a, a radio show. No, this is like bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, weddings. Oh, so he's just live DJ. Live DJ. Bars. Okay. Being a teenager at a bar was great. I'm with the DJ. <laughs> it's fun. No, this wasn't like, oh, we're recording anything. Okay, I thought he was going to these places and recording no, and just no, no, passing no. out on air. No. Gosh, no. No. He was a... I mean, it is somebody's wedding, though. Like, yeah, you, I'm not not a good look. Not, not a, a good professional look. standard to uh, set, or at a bar, or restaurant, or all the different places. Yeah, that was that was a strange time, and that lasted. Um, I kind of started uh, moving 
or hanging out with my dad more at that time because he started picking up that I shouldn't be hanging out at bars with all my mom's friends or her my mom's boyfriend's weirdo friends and it was not a good scene for a kid to be in let's just say that so I moved with my dad <laughs> or or pretty much a it was in my best interest to not live uh, in that situation anymore is pretty much what happened there. Then I moved back <laughs> and then back and forth between my dad and mom a while. And then I moved to Montana and with my dad because he was retiring out there. Then th my mom had moved to Vegas to continue the DJ life. And I moved out to Vegas because I had graduated. UDLV had a program for, for kids, so I got my GED and HED and then started at UDLV. And that was when I was 16. And so I was still helping out with the DJ thing for a while there. And it was alcoholism gets you. And so I just, it kind of all fell apart. My mom ended up leaving that guy. He ended up selling all the equipment and everything, even though it was my mom's. And I was very, very upset because I was like, mom, you could have continued this. She's like, I know, but I really wanted him gone. So I let him take it and use the money to get out. And so that's, that was the end of my mom's career as a, uh, owning a DJ company is, uh, alcoholism gets you or having an alcoholic boyfriend will get you. <laughs> uh, and at that point I was in at university. So I didn't, you know, I was working at Payless Shoe Stores. And then as soon as I turned 21, I started bartending. Oh, well, and waiting tables. So you always, was was this a path that you knew you wanted to go down? Was the yes. DJ radio? So in eighth grade, I did my uh, career day report on being a DJ. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I kind of knew. I kind of knew very, very young. I was like, this is what I want to do. I had a horrible uh, fear of public speaking. I failed public speaking three times in college. Fourth time, I got the highest grade in class. And so, I mean, it's like I literally go up and just be shaking. I, I couldn't with, when, with anything. It, it wasn't, which is weird because I was always the kid to volunteer. I've, I'm still the person to volunteer for everything. But when it comes down to me presenting something and not just being part of, like, it's different if you're dancing on a stage or, you know, playing a game. It's very different than, oh, I'm the one in charge now. I'm the one giving this presentation. I'm the one. You're in the spotlight. I'm in the spotlight. I didn't realize that, oh, I don't actually like being in the spotlight, which radio is perfect for that. Radio is great for that. You don't have to be in the spotlight. You can be in the background and just be a voice. And that's, you know, in uh, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I was in choir which loved waking up at like 6.30 in the morning on Fridays. I've never been a morning person. And I think it's a testament to myself because I didn't, you know, nobody took me to school. Nobody signed me up for these extracurricular activities. I just would go and I was the announcer. I would just announce all the songs. I would announce the people, announce the things. Uh, and even when I did plays, I was in theater, uh, and I didn't want to be on stage. <laughs> I wanted to write, I wanted to direct, and I wanted, I was happy being the announcer uh, or the narrator or what have you, the character in the shadows that just talks, you know, just that creeper in the background, you know, that way no one can see like the Cheeto dust on my shirt. <laughs> it's, it, it worked well for me. So, well, so, Got past the public speaking part, went into corporate uh, after a while. And I, well, okay, there was a big step to get to that point. I started doing comedy. 
stand-up comedy. And the first time I went up, I was so scared. And I don't recommend anybody doing this. I, I drank a lot. And I had been waiting. I had been going to open mics for months and months and months and months. And I had even been dating somebody. And the one thing that they would be willing to go out and do, because I like to go out. I, I enjoy going out to eat and seeing shows and doing things like that. I just love to do that. And the only thing I could get him to go to would either be like a movie or comedy. And so we'd go to the comedy shows. And then one day I tell him, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go on stage one of these days. And he said, ha, you are not funny. You cannot do that. And so I made it my mission to make sure that my, pa my face was flyered around town. <laughs> I was producing shows at one point. I was hosting. But it took a long time. It took a couple years of me going on stage and getting comfortable. I traveled a little bit to get better at my public presentation. Uh, I asked, started asking friends to record me because I was so awkward. I, I didn't believe how awkward I was. My co-comedians would be like, girl, you need to start watching your own videos. Like you can be totally cool. And then you go and take that mic and you are the weirdest person in the, like it's uncomfortable. And so I went, I can't be that bad. And then I watched myself. It was so bad. It was the weirdest, like I'd do this like weird head bob thing and I'd be like, Bleh. it was terrible. So I had to get over that and forced myself to go and did open mics uh, and got on shows too uh, from in Vegas and Los Angeles and up here. And I started doing a thing and then started working for a radio station built my or set myself up to go there but I didn't have the formal radio training back to that uh and so one thing that my boss and and co-workers would do was they'd take me aside and we'd have like faux interviews you know and they especially my boss would really go hard on it uh she'd be like okay you gotta like work on the interview technique work on the interview technique and I'm still trying I'm still learning I'm not very good I'll, I'll be the first to admit I have a, a lot of room for improvement, but I'm enjoying the learning process and I'm enjoying trying to be a good host. That's I well, and through comedy, I realized I don't like being the stand up comic. I like being the host. Uh, I like putting shows together. I like being in the background and recording things. I I don't like the spotlight on me. It's like when people think about weddings. I think about myself as the bartender. <laughs> I think about myself as, you know, the person arranging chairs or helping with catering or setting up floral arrangements. I never think of myself as the bride. Like, I just, I don't want to. <laughs> so was it hard then stepping into Thursday Night Talk and having the camera on you? Was that your first experience where you're doing the radio thing, but it's also the visual aspect of so now they can see you? I had hosted a few... TV programs in the area for nonprofits. So I had done the uh, PBS Keat auctions and. So you'd been on camera a few times? I had been on camera a few times, been in commercials, things like that. And I, I enjoy doing, I enjoy filming. There's a group out here called TK Studios. I don't know if you know them. Uh, they, have some very interesting projects that they work on. I've done background acting. Again, I, I don't mind being in the background. Uh, it's... Yeah, so... <laughs> I, 
I was a little uncomfortable with it at first. I'm very uh, insecure about how I look. And I realized, just like with public speaking, like I said, I failed three times in college. Uh, and the fourth time, I just went, nobody cares what I look like. I don't care what I look like anymore. Good enough is good enough. And if I sit there and worry in my head all the time about what I look like and what I sound like and what's going on, I end up just in a, like, curled up in a ball crying in my apartment, not able to leave. And I can't live like that. And I want to live and have a decent life. And I want to do what I want to do. And I can't let fear get to them, get to me or my insecurities or whatever it is. Was that a big root cause of the fear of public speaking was just the eyes on you and your physical appearance? I think so. I'm very vain. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was a, a mix of. Just a combination of all of it. Of all of it, yeah. I had huge agoraphobic issues when I was a kid and ended up. Like, I ended up dropping out of my freshman year of high school and doing independent studies because I couldn't take the anxiety of just walking through a campus. And so, uh, worked heavily on it with therapists. So. But it was, it was an issue. It's, you know, debilitating anxiety is real and I still have that fear. And I will say the pandemic did not help me. I would imagine. Cause I went from, you know, I, I was working in corporate media. I was hosting events and being on camera and doing all this stuff. And then suddenly I'm in the studio alone again. And I was like, oh no. Uh, and it becomes very comfortable being alone. And I had to, the world opened up and it's, it's one thing when I'm working, but to be able to just go out on my own and do something is kind of, it, it really like, it takes a lot. And I love how my friends are like, oh, you just walk into the room like you own it. Or, or some people think I'm cold and it's like, no, that's my psychotic anxiety. And I'm just trying to, you know, they call it masking where you just, you know, or, or the, the server smile, like, no, I'm terrified. <laughs> like sometimes I'm just terrified. And the reason I'm not being outgoing is I'm just scared. <laughs> like it, it's not, you know, I, I have to, the people closest to me, I'm like, oh, I think those people think I'm a jerk now because they were trying to talk to me and I, I didn't say anything to them. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just, you know, trying to fight like the in my head that's telling me everything's awful about myself. And it's, yeah. I don't know what agoraphobia is. Agoraphobia is the fear of kind of public crowded spaces. Uh, like I... This is really, really bad. But the reason I dropped out of freshman year of high school, I uh, I couldn't leave my house for like a month. Um, just like, for fear of eyes being on you? Just for, yeah. Uh, it's an irrational fear, hence the phobia. Um, it's terrible. Uh, I had a rough childhood and that definitely stems in it. I think there became this awareness of like, oh, I, I am a human and I'm also very, very tall. I'm six foot two. And so people would look at me and now I realize, cool. Like I, I love, I've all, I loved being tall back then because well, sports was my outlet of if people are going to look at me, look at me, be good at something. And yeah, it, it's just, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And it took a long time to get over. 
and I still have to be careful of it because if I isolate too long, then then somehow that anxiety starts popping up. Like I am very aware now what it is and that it's completely ridiculous and I have to be careful all the same because if I isolate too long, then I get comfortable and I go, I'm happy here. Uh, I'm not happy out there. And then it's just a, it's a slippery slope. It's you a, get into that yeah. cycle of, no, I'm okay. I'll just, I'll stay in more. I'll just yeah. won't go do these things. Right. And then it just keeps feeding off of that process. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, so you dropped out of high school. And then, well, I went into independent study programs okay. and then I went into an accelerated, uh, I guess they call it a continuation school, but it had an accelerated program as well. I actually became um, part of the associated student body. I think I was treasurer for a minute and then like for a couple a semester and then secretary for another semester. And I actually took a journalism class at that school. It was pretty cool. They, it was a great school. Everyone thinks of, oh, a continuation high school. That's for like drug addicts and like the pregnant teenagers. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was also for kids with, you know, who needed an alternative plan. And I, my entire goal was to get out of high school as quickly as possible. So I did. Uh, when I went and moved with my dad to Montana, uh, the school out there said, no, we don't have an accelerated program here. And I said, okay, then bye. And I went and got my GED and HED and then went to university because I really didn't want to deal with this. High school can be great for a lot of different personality types. I was very, very, very bored. And I also had the anxiety issues and I just didn't want to. And I was, you know, I guess you could call it, I was a creative kid. You know, I wanted to sit in my room and play with my radio and draw pictures and paint things and dress silly with weird costumes and just do what I wanted to do. I wanted to hang out with my cats, to be honest. And so how did you work through that? Because that's, I mean, to go from that to, I mean, look at where you are now. Right. That is uh, pretty insane. It's a complete 180. That is, uh, yeah, it took a lot of work. It didn't happen overnight. It was me deciding I want to do these things. I have to deal with other human beings. Uh, not all human beings are going to hurt me. And in truth, they will. Uh, that was one thing that was the hardest lesson for me to learn. Like I can be open and accept people into my life, but I can't accept everyone into my life. And there was a reason I was guarded. And I realized that, you know, having difficult childhood and all that, and there were abuse situations there. And then I grew up and it's very easy when you're an abused kid to become an adult who allows those same patterns to occur because it's a sense of comfort and something you know, and hence why people who are abused once often get abused again um, in one way or another. And so I had to like go, okay, let me reel myself back in and try again. And it's just, you know, what's the difference between somebody who tries something the first time and, you know, isn't that great, but they do it versus somebody who's failed a thousand times, but then does it but then it's perfect. Like it's failure that makes, you know, failure is what makes you stronger. And the only difference with somebody who didn't succeed and somebody who does succeed is just, well, I gave it one more go than that person did. They failed and stopped. I kept going. And that's what trips a lot of people up is yeah. they hit that first wall or they fall that first time and they just don't yeah. get back up. <laughs> right. 
yeah, and it's sometimes it's a wise route or an easier route to be like, I'm going to give up, but I don't want to give up. <laughs> it's, it's, this is a, it gives me some weird sense of satisfaction to be able to, you know, even host a show and allow other people to have their voices. Cause it's not just, you know, that's why I like being the host. It's, I get to offer up that space for others to talk. Because I talk a lot. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking so much right now. But well, that's, that's the whole point of the show. The yeah, point. You're yeah. in your I element. Like, oh, okay. But I also, you know, one of uh, the things about being a kind of a, a loner person, you get in your own head, and I have to work on letting other people talk, though I know this is like, no, I'm supposed to talk here, uh, which hosting is a great outlet for that. Here, it's, it's your guys' show. I'm just here to guide the topic and make sure somebody doesn't, take up the whole hour themselves. Well, you're interesting in the sense that you seem like you were self-critical and constantly focused on improving yourself, which is a unique quality. There are a lot of people that don't, they can look at what, at something that they produce and think that it's fine and never want to improve any aspect of it. They do it and it's perfect. And that's just how it's done. <laughs> but in, in media, especially, you have to constantly improve. You have to keep looking at your stuff yeah. and honing your craft and really in any aspect of life, if you want to get anywhere, just get better. Right. You have to improve. Yeah. And you seem like you you kind of have that innate quality of, okay, I can tweak this. Okay, I can move this next thing. Okay, I can do right. this a little differently. There, there also has to come a point where, again, I'm a firm believer in good enough. Because if you don't, if you sit there and fiddle with everything constantly and consistently, you don't produce anything. That was one thing I learned with art. I ended up. Like, I loved art, and I still do, and I still paint. But, like, nobody has seen my artwork. And I, at a, as a, before I moved, I took all my artwork and just burned it. And, um, so this is, like, 12 years ago. And I just, like, burned it. And I was like, nobody needs to see this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I probably would have loved that stuff now as, an, as a person who's older and looking at my younger self. But I just thought it was, like, it's junk, and I'll make either better things or just forget about it. But like, you know, you can look back on those things and build upon them. But there does have to be a point where, uh, especially with art courses, I took like a, just a throwback to to school years. I haven't been in any classes for a long time. <laughs> but uh, what I was, I I think I failed one of my art courses because I just never turned anything in. I did all the work, and I but I thought it was horrible. And I look back and I'm like, it wasn't bad, you know. I I think I like I found something in my mom's storage or something like when I was clearing it out um and I was like that was actually really good like what was wrong with me and you can be critical to a point and you can you know I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist I'm a good enoughist <laughs> is this good enough because something has to be produced if you're at a job and you have a project that needs to be turned in you can't keep asking asking for extensions you have to turn something in you have to produce something and then that's kind of what media is in a way. It's you turn something in and then you get this feedback from listeners or from other people, producers or bosses, if you have them, or even yourself down the line. But if you don't turn it in, you can't improve. 
you have to be like, this is good enough for now and I could become better later, but this, this can stand alone as is, you know, especially when you're talking like that's just, that's one and done. You can sit there and take out all the uhs and the breaths and things like that, but you, you gotta just, you gotta do something. Especially when I was doing live programming. I was like, the radio's on, you go. If you mess up, you mess up. Which was probably really healthy for me because <laughs> you can't take it back to the detriment of, <laughs> to my own detriment sometimes. Well, you can definitely be too self-critical. I think having that ability to be introspective and take a step back and look at your work is important, but it does get to that point where it's too extreme yeah. and then you never really make any progress because you're never satisfied enough to move on to the next thing and get better. Like you could be the next Picasso and if you never painted anything anyone saw, right? what does it, what does that really mean? Right. Yeah. What if we had never seen any of Picasso's works? Because he was like, this is terrible. And, and just threw it away. Yeah. I mean, there you go. <laughs> you have, to, it's just, you don't want to be on the opposite end as well, where you, you're never self-critical. No. It's that fine, yeah. another fine line that you have to walk. And it gets kind of hard in a way when you have external people criticizing your work and critiquing yeah. it and trying to give you pointers, especially if they're not doing anything relative to what you're doing. Right. Like if you're a painter and you have someone who builds fences and they're like, I, I think you could, you should have done this. You should have <laughs> right. done this brush stroke this way. You're like, oh. Uh. That was one thing when I was a comedian that definitely still grates at me to this day that I would go up and do a set and maybe I wouldn't do everything perfect, but I'd be like, okay, I did, I did better that time than I did the time before. And that's all you can ask for sometimes is, is it perfect now? Did I do better? Uh, did I, was that joke funnier than it was before because I switched words around? You know, you can, the, the goal is not to be perfect. The goal is just get better. You'll never be perfect. Like perfection is an unattainable goal that everyone needs to wipe from their vocabulary. Because <laughs> I mean, perfectly imperfect. Incremental progress In is what yes. you want. Yeah. Um, I want, to just be, I want progress quickly, but I'll take incremental because that's realistic. And that's, if, if something, you know, and something could be worse, but as long as like, you gotta, you gotta find something good in what you've done. And sometimes it's, I went up there. I bombed completely, but I went up there and that's good because if I didn't go up there, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had that experience. I wouldn't have been able to work on anything at all. And you know, curl up in a ball in my apartment. Uh, it's so, <laughs> but afterwards, just audience members. There's there's this perfect audience for for comedy that you know laughs when they're supposed to laugh, and if they don't find it funny, okay, maybe. But they don't boo, they don't heckle, <laughs> you know. And then afterwards, if they liked what you did, they come up to you and they say that was really funny. Good job, you know. Here's a hundred bucks. That's that's the perfect. <laughs> I wish that would happen. And then there's the audience members that just want to tell you their own jokes. They want to tell you how to improve yourself. And that's when I go, here are the days for the open mics in the area. <laughs> or, you know, there's open mics around here. You should try it out. And the I think the comedy group 
like it's amazing if it's your first time going up to an open mic and everybody knows that you're going to get a round of applause people are going to cheer for you you're going to get the most amazing reception ever and you're going to walk off thinking you're the funniest person in the world the second time you go up it's going to be crickets (laughs) like it's really hard to be funny it's really hard to make a joke though that critique of you should be doing this. You should be doing that. You should be doing this instead. Oh, why don't you do this? It's like, well, because I have a show and I can only do so much. You know, I have a set and I'm working on this this thing. Like, thanks for your feedback, though. Like, here, you have the microphone. <laughs> and so you feel that people were more critical when you were doing comedy than oh, during yeah. your time with media or with radio? Uh. I mean, yeah, I think I also, by the time I got on radio, I had already, stand-up comedy is the hardest medium of artistry, I think, out there. And and no discredit to any other style of performance. Uh, I've, I've done a few different types. In stand-up comedy, it's you and your words and an audience. And your goal is to make them laugh. And I, I'm humorous. I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm ha ha immediately laugh out loud funny. The the biggest critique I always got was you really made people think. I'm like, okay, well, me and George Carlin are both ENTPs, so I'll take that as a you know, cool. I made people think, but yeah, I make them laugh, and that's the goal. Like you want to make them laugh. You don't want them to go, hmm. I'm gonna go home and ponder like the every aspect of life like no you want them to just laugh and let them release their pressures of their day and it's difficult it's really tough to do that and it really prepared me though for public speaking like I went into comedy in order to become really really good and get over my fear because even though I had you know conquered the college collegiate level of public speaking I still would slip back into that I'm not good enough. I can't talk. I'm scared of every one thing. And stand-up comedy just, it's you and a microphone and you're talking to people and they either like you or they hate you or or whatever. But the criticism from stand-up comedy is unlike anything, unlike anything else. People really feel like they can just go up to you and be like, you were terrible. You ruined my night. I can't believe they let you, like your mom had you. You know, you need to tell your mom to take you back wherever you came from. Like people are just like so harsh sometimes. And, you know, when you're funny, they're like, oh, my gosh, you're amazing. Let me tell you some of my jokes. And it's like, OK, <laughs> you know, uh, so that definitely prepared me for a lot of criticism. And I think corporate radio prepared me in another way, which. I have, to, you know, when it's stand up, you have to make the audience laugh when you're in corporate radio, you have to make your boss happy and you have to make money. If you're not appeasing the sponsors, you're not doing your job. Because it's, you have to get the the listenership. You have to have all of that. You have to have a cohesive show, you know, for three, four hours a day, sometimes longer, depending on which station you're working for. And you have to make it sound good. You got to, do the right moves and say the right things. And the harshest critiques are going to come from 
from the corporate overlords, as I like to call them. But the the real the real critique is how much money are you bringing in, which is not my favorite thing. But it was I worked in in sales advertising before before then, and so I understood. I definitely understood it, and I totally get where where that is. Though I though when you're bringing in money and when you're making money, you're still getting critiques. It's like corporate corporate media is very harsh. It is very critical. Um, whether you're in sales or behind the microphone, you're never good enough. You're never bringing in enough money. You can do better. Um, there's no point of, gee, you did a great job. And maybe that's different. Uh, I've had thoughts of going back into corporate radio because I do miss that aspect. I love music. I love being able to connect to people. I don't know if it's good for my mental health is, is especially, and I think I'm like, I know I'm strong enough, though at the same time you have people telling you like, you're terrible. Like you on one side, you're like, but the listeners are happy. The sponsors are happy. Why am I, am I not good enough for, and it's like, you just have to remember like what all those critiques from the corporate overlords are not who you are. And they're not, they're not, it's almost like it's not real, but you have to take it seriously because they're your bosses and they're the ones who are cutting your paycheck. And, you know, they're the ones signing their name on that, on that paycheck and no matter how little the paycheck is. And so you have to, you have to appease them, but to appease everyone is, is a difficult task. I don't think I could do that corporate world, especially where your speech isn't necessarily your speech a hundred percent of the time. Right. I mean, yeah. I I did. I mean, I I I tried my best to make a rule that I'm not. I don't want a sponsorship from a company I don't believe in. Um, I'm not going to tell somebody to use something if I'm not going to use it, which uh, worked out well locally because it's mostly like I mean, you know, I can only think of maybe like two companies in the entire area. I'd be like, I don't want your money, and. One of them went out of business, so who cares? Um, so it's kind of, you know, I mean, you gotta you gotta say what you gotta say. It, especially, I mean, the good news is I love food. I'm not sitting there like, oh yeah, you should go eat the pizza at this place, and like being like, oh that pizza's terrible. No, the pizza's great. Like it's really easy to to talk that up. Um, if you're talking about the commercial aspect. Though I, I do wish I could have focused a little less on uh, just top of the pop style radio talk. I enjoyed it too. I actually do. It was like, oh, I get to sit here. Part of my research was, you know, reading delisted and Perez Hilton sort of web pages and being like, what's going on? You know, let me find out the scoop on Rihanna right now and. Like, you know, the recent Super Bowl, that would have been definitely an entire, like, segment about, like, Rihanna and her whole thing. And and I, I do kind of miss that, though, if you're not the sort of person that likes talking about pop culture, then no, you probably hate it. And you'd probably hate having to do certain certain commercials and interrupting songs because that's one thing that everybody, everybody's like, I just want to listen to the music or some funny stuff or things like that. And then it'd be like in between songs, you'd have to be like, and now time for you know, a commercial break of me talking about some random internet 
thing that you should go buy and sign up for now. It's, 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 it's part of the job. Have you thought about building out something like that online? Maybe well, with Access Humboldt or on your so own? Access or? Humboldt's a nonprofit. Um, with a nonprofit radio station, we have underwriters. Um, like, like my show has an underwriter. It's very inex- inexpensive to underwrite, but with that, you can't promote any. Um, so it's non-commercial. No, I don't mean with the commercials. I meant do your own kind of tabloid stuff where you look at oh maybe yeah pop culture oh, elements that I, you are interested in. Well, it's a it's a local. It's all local. So I definitely have brought up like, can we can can we do something like that? And they're like, no, because we're talking about a local situation with people who aren't necessarily considered public figures. When it comes to public figures, uh, you're allowed to speculate and discuss things in a different way. Whereas if I started talking about so-and-so's relationship with so-and-so and how they might actually be seeing so-and-so on the side with a population of, of less than 100,000, or no, it's 130,000. So I try to remember what our current population is. I think it fluctuated over whatever. Uh, it's a little different there because it's a small town and I don't think it would be appropriate. What about not necessarily tailoring it that way? but doing national tabloid stuff for the local audience. It's like you're still doing, I don't know, you're covering the Super Bowl or you're covering Meghan Markle and what's Harry? What's his name? Prince Harry. Prince Harry, yeah. Prince Hawkins. You're covering that, but it's not, (laughs) it's just like your own thing. Not necessarily that you have to cover local tabloid stuff of who's dating who or what's, what's the lowdown. Right. There's already that. It's called the Lost Coast Outpost. No, no, there's not. That it, that's one thing that they don't touch. Uh, I don't know if would there be an interest in that it, because I feel like that's what, like, you can tune into the former radio stations that I worked for and get that still, but with a very different perspective. Uh, they, the DJ that that uh, took my place is actually produced his show before um but he has a very 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 different style than me and that was one thing I've, i'd have people hitting me up and be like we miss you and da, da, da. i was like give him a chance because it's different than me that's all like you liked me and i get that uh i'm i'm a very specific style of dj uh i definitely bring up topics that are outside of that realm while he's very mainstream commercial that's what he does he's been doing it for a long time and he's really good at it uh so people who would like message me and be like we miss you like down with that guy i'd be like no 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 no. like he's great at what he does he's doing a great job and you might not like that style but other people will you know for every one fan he lost because i they lost because i left somebody else is going to come on because there's something for everyone out there but maybe that's a sign that there would be a market for you to do that. Maybe. If you're interested. Yeah. No, definitely. Like, you mean like a podcast or something? Like yeah, Local a podcast. Humboldt or trash there's... talking podcast. <laughs> Humboldt trash. Humboldt trash. That would be a good name, actually. Yeah. No, but there's... There you go. We've got a, a podcast. Humboldt trash. Humboldt trash. Humboldt trash. There's... <laughs> do you know who Miles Cochran is? I don't. He does Humboldt last week. Yes. It's, okay. Yeah. I do know Miles. Shout out to MCMC. He's <laughs> awesome. But he does like he has a 
online radio station and then does humble last week i think it's the same name humble last week radio online too but he yeah. kind of built out his own shows, little online it, they played on lost coast outpost i believe oh do they i think so i think that's where i found out about it but i think there's a market just for internet stuff in general because you have a little more freedom you could talk about what you want to talk about right go into whatever depth you want and there's no corporate overlords saying no, no you corporate need to. overlords right I think it'd be fun. I, I'm afraid of being, uh, you know, being a John Chiv or something where I don't know who that person is. Uh, That's so funny. You don't know who that is and you just threw him out there? Well, no, he has like a blog in the oh. area. Uh, yeah, I just came up with a random name. Like John Chiv. Yeah, let me, let me give him some promotion here because, well, his website can seem slightly slanderous at times and I don't want to come across as that. I do definitely... I would, I think there should be more of a entertainment scope somewhere. I mean, the closest that you get is, you know, the well, Bob Doran has he's on Humble Hot Air now and he has his podcast about what's going on. I I feel like a lot of what people are doing could be very dry though. <laughs> I definitely want to infuse some opinion in there <laughs> and uh yeah, I'd have way too much fun with it, and I'm afraid that I might go overboard because <laughs> I would, I would, I don't, I want to know who everyone's dating. I do. Oh, gotta come up with some name like you know the um, what do they call it? Like the Yenta next door or something? The one that just always is paying attention to everything you're doing, to everything going on in the neighborhood. What do they call it? Neighborhood watch, but extremist. Yeah. The trash watch, humble trash watch, humble trash watch. Yeah. So you really do like you. I really you're do a love fan it. of the tabloid stuff. I am. I am. I want to like. Why don't? Why doesn't humble have a bat boy? We've had Bigfoot forever. Like somebody's had to have a kid with him. <laughs> Bigfoot, the. I like. We need to create like a Humboldt Inquirer, like the National Inquirer. Just the most ridiculous stuff. You could do that. I could do that. You could do, I, you that. Could do anything with the magic of the internet. Do you yeah, have the same kind of corporate overlordness at Access Humboldt? I would imagine definitely not to the same extreme, but do you have... Well, I am I am the complaint department. Oh, well, that's helpful. So... <laughs> um, Complain well, away. I'm I'm the, uh, what do they call it, the, the head of uh, programming or uh, not head of programming. That sounds really fancy. It, I'm, it's all volunteer work, by the way, everything on access Humboldt is volunteer work. Not Matt. Matt deserves to be paid, but he's there morning, noon, night answering everything. Um, I'm on the board and on the board, one of the subcommittees is programming. And somehow I became the person for that, which means, um, what programming is, is not just, uh, it's it's defining what is okay and what is not okay to go on air as well. If there is a complaint, uh, I get to deal with that. So <laughs> like it's who are you gonna complain to? Yeah. Me? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Do you ever worry about getting too controversial with a topic on your show and on Thursday night talks, uh I mean, we've covered everything from abortion rights to, uh, you know, we've talked about Rex Bone. We've talked about, <laughs> you can't get any more controversial than Rex Bone right now. Uh, he's a sweet guy, too, in person. It's kind of so weird. It's so weird being like, oh, there's this, for everyone in Humboldt, because you have to realize there's, there's a public identity, 
And then there's a private identity for every single person. And what people think of of a person one way could be completely different than them behind the scenes or or not. Or people are just terrible monsters. I haven't figured it out yet completely. Um, though, as for controversy, I mean, no. Uh, I think every single topic out there can be handled in an appropriate manner. It would be absolutely controversial for me to host a, a show specifically aimed at talking about all the trash talk going on in Humble and giving... Uh, I almost feel like that would be giving a little bit of a, a bump for the ability for people to bully in some way. It'd almost be like a Gossip Girl style thing, and I think that's stupid. It was an idea I had that gets trashed constantly <laughs> so because it's humble trash. Uh, though for Thursday Night Talk, I don't feel like there's any topic that would be... There are topics where... You can tell everybody is kind of dancing around it because everybody feels so uncomfortable. Uh, feel free to go and, and watch all the shows on YouTube, on the Access Humble YouTube page. And you can tell sometimes where people are like, well, uh, that's there's one person I love having on the show, and that's uh, Jennifer Fumiko Cahill. She's part of the North Coast Journal, um, and she is... Whenever there's something where I'm like, I don't know how to talk about this, I go, Jennifer, what do you think? <laughs> and she'll just, you know, or if there's something that everybody wants to say, I know she'll say it. So I always love when she's on the show. She's only been on a couple of times, but it's just, um, am I afraid of saying something controversial? Yes, because it's a small community and you don't want to anger the wrong people. So you're not so worried about oversight fear it's more public backlash or having to see somebody in the community after maybe you said it's, something a little dicey uh it's hard out here in the wood i think a lot of people don't realize exactly how much people how far people will go to retaliate like there are people that will slash your tires there are people that will absolutely uh deface your home uh they'll come into where you work uh they'll they'll really actually go after you uh, so that's, um, yeah. Have you experienced that? I have. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not for anything I've said on air, but because people don't like me sometimes actually, no, it is for things that I have said. Some people have not necessarily even about them though. I have had, I've also had like the stalker thing, uh, and yeah, that's, that's one thing I'll never not say. Men don't like being rejected. Come after it. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what else to say about that one. That's just some men just can't take rejection. And that's sad for them. But it's also scary for me. Um, and well, that was like, you know, like with the abortion conversation, um, I was like, I'm here to host you guys talk because it can be terrifying. I don't want somebody blaming pitchforks and things like that. Weird. There's people who speak in snake tongues out here. And they think that's normal. And they think like what I would consider child abuse extremely is what they consider normal. So I just, I don't want to anger them. You know, I do kind of want to anger them and I want them to come out of the woodworks, but I also don't want to anger them. I do not know what snake talk is. Snake tongue. Snake tongue. Speaking snake tongue. Like they literally talk to snakes and they have like epiphanies with God 
where they start speaking as though they're a snake. And so there are some crazy people that yeah. you're afraid would come after you. Religious extremists. For things that you uh, say. Incels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can be terrifying. Religious extremists and incels. These are the most two most terrifying groups anywhere. Absolutely anywhere. Is this a fear attached to you being a public figure or just a fear in general? Oh, even before I was a public figure out here, I had stalkers and weirdos and people. Like I had a guy who actually thought that we were in a relationship for two years. His whole family thought we were in a relationship for two years. I didn't know we were in a relationship. I had no idea. Um, and he ended up trying to, like he put a guy I was dating in the hospital because that guy was stealing his girl. So yeah, there are people with mental illnesses that are unchecked. Uh, and I have every right to be scared. I have absolutely every right to be terrified. Uh, I'd like to think that as I get older and less, like, less aesthetically pleasing to creepy men, um, because creepy men always like young women. It's a thing. Like, you know, mature men appreciate women their age, you know, because because you'd want somebody with similar interests, similar life, uh, and I think people are beautiful of all ages. So it's like age is just a number, sort of, uh, but not when you're talking about young kids, like then age is definitely a number that matters. Uh, though, though I'm hoping that as I get older, maybe I'll get less of those strange men. But from what I've heard from women, it doesn't really end until, you know, you're like 60, 70. And even then you still get weirdo sometimes. So. But there's that, yeah. So even before I was a public figure, it was strange. It was strange, yeah. I've had scenarios and situations and weird obsessions, and and I have no idea why. Yeah. People just get fixated on a person, and sometimes that's me. Which means that, hey, I, I should be in media, right? <laughs> There's nothing safer than putting yourself way, way, way out there in a public space. It's not true. Well, I think that speaks to you, maybe your character in a sense that you won't or wouldn't let that hold you back. Because I think that would be reason for some people. Some people, yeah. it's just the aspect of fear that can be paralyzing. No, I've definitely been been scared from... I don't want to talk about it because it'll just put me in a headspace. Um, the the situations have happened where I definitely retreated a lot um, more socially than work wise. That's the cool thing about media being my job is I, I have I'm forced to go and do things. It's probably why I I keep uh, having social jobs like service industry and things like that. It forces me to to face that to not get comfortable um hiding away or get comfortable in fear or anything it's like you have to go out there and just be out there do you feel more guarded with your speech on top of that aspect the fear aspect but just also the idea that what you say is now out there forever and that yeah you might agree with this idea in this moment but five years down the road are you still gonna look back and feel the same do you think about that aspect of it at all uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, who doesn't? That's what gets me, is I think, not that I let it stop me or interfere with 
what I'm going to say in the moment, but it's, uh, it's just something you recognize that this is now out there. Right. For better or worse, it's out there. I think I had to come to terms with that a while ago and just accept it, accept it. And I've definitely, I know I have said things where I'm like, Ooh, Oh, so dumb. It's just like the dumbest thing possible. And you know, if you get called out for it, you learn. Uh, I mean, that's one thing about like the call out culture that people who get called out don't seem to understand. And every now and then you see it where somebody goes, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, you know, like I can't even apologize for that. That was terrible of me to say when I was 19, you know, uh, I said something horrible. Uh, I got swept up in, in what I was saying and the culture and thinking that it was funny. And it absolutely was like, that's what you were supposed to learn from that is don't say that. And like, there's no real apology you can give for it because if you hurt someone, you can apologize all you want. It's up to them to like, they're still hurt. And so it's, you know, it's, there's definitely things where I'd like, if I could rewind and be like, man, I should have been able to handle that a little better. Uh, definitely. Definitely. And is there a fear of it? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with, you know, Thursday night talks, it's my face and my name and I'm not, you know, I'm not hiding behind a pseudonym or, you know, there's no lawyer bot behind me going beep, beep, boop, we'll protect you. You know, it's just me doing my thing and got to be careful because, well, and I don't want to hurt people. Like the whole point of this is to not hurt people. And I can definitely be in a negative mindset. I can be in a weird mindset. I can, you know, anxious mindset where I say things and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> that wasn't me being my kindest self. Uh, and, and I want people to not feel bad. So if I say, you know, something horrible where people go, wow, ouch, somehow that hurt me or, um, and I, you know, I would own it and be like, oh, no, uh, whether I recognize it or not, if somebody, you know, calls me out for something like, please do, because it's it's a learning lesson. So I also definitely fear what if something I say now suddenly does become. You know, there were words that I used as a kid that weren't considered bad words. They were considered what you called things, especially um, I mean, obviously, there's still like I, like LGBTQ crew, like there's obviously words that have always been terrible uh, to use. Um, but then there were words that where that's just what you called somebody who presented this way or did this, which is now considered horrendously awful because the meaning switched because people started using it to bully people. And it's like, oh, so if there was a recording of me from, you know, when I was 18 or something, like that would have been the word, the vernacular that everybody used. But if you look at an 18 year old now and they heard me say that, you know, a recording of me saying that back then, they'd be like, you're terrible and we need to cancel you. And it's like, I understand that that word is terrible now. It was not back then. Um, and I'm not talking about the F word or things like those are, have always been terrible. Those have always been terrible and never okay to say. Um, though language changes. Language does change. And so that is something that I'm concerned with, especially, you know, I like reading the word of the day from, well, there's, I get like three like emails from like different words of the day. I like learning new words and trying to in include them. And I enjoy reading a lot. And so 
but even you know you can look back on like Tolstoy or C.S. Lewis and look at some of the language used back then you'd be like wow you wouldn't be able to say that today though back then in the context of that's what people talk about the context of the times um in that well okay let's I, I want to use an example and I also don't because it's scary to use an example in Rocky horror picture show. There's a song called sweet transsexual. Um, and the word transsexual back in the day was a word and there was a term you'd use, which was tranny. And that was not offensive. Um, people would call themselves that if they were transsexual, it was a very common word. If you use that word now, you can't use that word. Um, and I'm sorry if me saying that word did hurt anybody. I, d I don't want that to happen. Um, so it's, it's in the movie, like it's in the Rocky horror. It's, it's in the play. And so back in the seventies and eighties and nineties, that was a word that you would use and nobody would be offended by it. Um, and now you cannot use that word. Not, not the full, you can say transsexual, but you can't say the shortened version. I believe I don't, I'm not fully aware of this. And this is why I don't like, I'm like, ah, somebody educate me. Um, and I wouldn't, if I had a, a show about that, which I did have a show about the issue in Ferndale with um, uh, the drag community are against, I mean, not against, but it, it's more the church community against the drag community. And, and that was one where I was like, I'm letting everybody speak. <laughs> like, I want you all to speak more than I do because I am not the one educated on this i'm not the one living this and that's so yes in short yes sometimes i'm terrified because what if something i say today is horribly offensive in 20 years and somebody points back to it you know when i'm in my big old career and i've written you know some fantastic play or something and i've got two tonys because now i'm a musical writer i would never be but you know let's say i won two tonys and uh an oscar because why not and somebody goes back to this podcast and they're like, she said that word. And it's like, well, did you, did you listen to the context of it? I'm talking about how it's, you know, I mean, there's certain words you don't say. Um, there's certain things you don't talk about. Yeah. But people, especially nowadays struggle with the idea of context and struggle with the idea that society changes yeah. and things that are acceptable go in and out of flow. And I mean, that's the steady beat of progress. Yeah. And if you look, I mean, everybody is is a villain if you give it enough time and you right. look back. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's just the reality. You either like, die a hero or grow old enough to see yourself become the villain. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure that's just part of it. And if we try to hold people from the past to the standards of the present, nobody's going to nobody's going to match up to that. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Culture changes. I do kind of like it in a way. I'll be honest. I like the idea. Yeah, there's that fear aspect of, oh man, it's in in 20 years, am I still gonna look back fondly on what was said? But I also right. I like the idea that these are moments in time, that this yeah. is this is you in this moment, and this is me yeah. in this moment. And this is how I feel, and yeah, hopefully it'll track growth as I move forward. But it's also this is who I was at 25. This was me <laughs> in this moment on the 21st of February at whatever time. This was us. This was our moment, and it, it's entombed in time. So you can't take it out of context, because here's the context. This is us. I do like that aspect, even though it kind of freaks me out. Right. I do like it. 
magical realm of now. And there it goes. It's yeah. And it's fleeting. <laughs> it's fleeting. It's so fleeting. Oh. Uh, yeah. That's all part of media. That's all part of doing stuff online. Yeah. Is it's out there and time will move forward, but the it will always be what you it is. You can't take it back. I actually was talking to somebody recently about because I I didn't grow up with the same level of media interface that kids today are. I, you know, my school was, I was like the first kindergarten class to be introduced to the computer thing. And I had a computer at home at that point, but that's because my dad, big computer nerd and he worked, whatever. And uh, we didn't have social media like it is now when I was growing up. We had AOL. <laughs> we had fake names. Uh, we, I was always told, never give your real name to somebody on the internet. Never show people pictures of yourself. Never share personal information. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you're five? Here, you can have your own series on TikTok. And that's insane to me. Because all of those horrible things that I all, well, not horrible, but all the stupid things I did when I was a kid. Kids are still doing them. They're and now, now they're documented. Now they're documented. I almost feel like there should be a law that when you're like 18 or 21, you can delete everything. Or that like anything, you know, if a kid gets in trouble, unless it's, it's a, what is the rule, heinous crime, um, they are tried as a kid and they have their records expunged at 18. So it's like a whole new slate. And I almost feel like that should be a thing for for media personas. Like if when you hit 18, you want to click a delete button, I feel like you should be able to because I was 14. I was dumb. <laughs> well, maybe that speaks to the idea that kids shouldn't have access or maybe unfettered access to social media I think platforms they would be held behind from their peers is if, that real though though i mean if so. you're seeing your friends at school it would just be like going back to the 80s or the 90s before it you're still hanging out with your friends you could still text yeah. them it's just do you need instagram do you need instagram at 14 no. like what? yeah right I would. Do you need twitter at 12 what do you, I mean, what are you tweeting? Nobody it's... needs Twitter. Twitter needs to go away now. Like, Twitter is... You're not a fan of Twitter. I hate Twitter. Well, and now Musk has his hands on it, and it's just, go away. Oh, you're not a Musk guy. Gal. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I um, use guy interchangeably. I just well, throw out guy. At first, I thought, oh, this is super cool. Uh, back when he was like, yeah, we're going to release Tesla. We got SpaceX. And... Elon Musk didn't come up with any of this. He just funded it. Um, he just played some good moves. And I mean, he didn't even program PayPal because it was PayPal that he originally had. He didn't do any of the programming or coding for that. Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure he Did, built. Was he the one? I'm pretty sure him and his brother built. Okay. I don't know if it was PayPal. I, I don't think it was called PayPal. It was like a peer-to-peer -peer thing. And I think it was bought out. By PayPal. Maybe, yeah. But I'm pretty sure he built that did he okay i know he didn't he didn't found tesla but he no. definitely saved it i mean it was well from financial ruin and 
Well, even just from a engineering aspect, I mean, they had to rebuild yes. it from the ground up. They couldn't use anything. I think they reused maybe like a basic component like the steering wheel or something crazy like that. Oh. But it was the chassis. They had to redesign everything, I believe. Yeah. So, again, in the beginning, Tesla was cool. And now he is a figurehead for he's just a figurehead. Um, he's a CEO. He's, he doesn't have his hands deep in there. He's not the one coding anything for Tesla at this point. He's not the one coding anything for SpaceX. He's just in charge. He's he's a he's a boss man. And again, like grown to be the villain. And it's not good. It's not a good look. Him Why do you th- why do you say that he's grown to be the villain? He was always the villain. He was kind of born to be a villain. Because well, look at Tesla. Look what happened. Look how cool of an idea is it is to have electric vehicles. Now it's a pay-to-play program. It's a money grab. You should not have to, like, if you buy a car outright, you should be able to drive that car. You shouldn't have to pay a monthly service fee in order to get all the perks of it. And you shouldn't have to pay more for every little perk. Like, that car should just come with everything. Isn't that just for the self-driving software? Not just for the self-driving software. It's also for, I think they... They tried to do oh like if you wanted to use the last quarter of your uh of your tank uh to fill it full uh at the Tesla stations you would have to pay like a monthly fee in order to unlock that feature. And it's it's full of features. And it's essentially planned obsolescence too cuz let's face it once that happens they're going to start being like oh this next one like the parts aren't going to fit you're not going to and you can't. You literally are. It, you cannot work on your own Tesla. You have to take it to a Tesla spot and have them work on it for you, which is just well. I that's don't like just that. cars in general. That's not true. You can take you, uh, modern it, cars. I don't have a modern car. Oh, I don't but I, I'm, are you good? Are you good with your hands with cars? No. Oh, so you and I aren't fixing our cars. Period. No, but I'm still gonna take it to whatever mechanic I want. Oh yeah, there is that, right? You have to go to a certified yeah, I'm not Tesla gonna... person. But you can't just I mean I'm, I'm speaking for myself. If I pop the hood on a twenty twenty three whatever, I'm it's a spaceship. I don't know what's going on down there. It doesn't matter if it's a Tesla or a Ford. It's... Well yeah, everything's well all the electrical components now, that's for sure. Yeah. Well that's I have a hybrid. So it's Yeah. <laughs> it's, this isn't like an old jalopy from, you know, nineteen twenties where you or when was it 1940s? When was the Dust Bowl? That is a good question. Yeah. Ford? I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But what about anyway. the <laughs> what about the free speech aspect of Twitter with Musk? You don't but buy into that. But he's not doing a free speech aspect. He is creating an logarithm so that he comes on top. What was it? It was uh Biden's somehow Biden something Biden said came was on was more popular and being seen and liked by more people than Musk's latest. And so Musk went to his brother and said, we got to reprogram this. And I think it's Musk's brother who is the real smart one for coding, for coding purposes here. And I think Musk is just the Edison involved. Um, so his brother's the, the actual Tesla. And yeah. Uh, and he's censoring people. He's he's pushing people. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, ghost. What's that word? 
shadow shadow banning. He's pretty much shadow banning certain people. He is not allowing certain people to even have. Do you have any specific examples of that? Of him shadow banning? Yeah, or any names. Now I'm just looking at the logarithms and seeing people complain about it. I don't know if that's necessarily true from what I've been reading. It seems like a lot of people have been unshadow banned and brought back under like him. Like Trump or? Trump will, Was have he... you been following the Twitter files? No. That would be something to look into. Uh... I, even I need to dig into it more, but <laughs> okay. it's, I mean, the previous Twitter was, I would buy the argument for that because there's documentation of them pulling anybody and everybody for various reasons, yeah. some legitimate, most not just blanket censorship. Yeah. Predominantly towards right-wing people, but again, just across the board. And it seems like he has done a lot to reverse those decisions. It's just my understanding. I also feel like censorship can be a good thing. That scares me. Yeah. That idea scares me. Um, I don't think you should be able to say, you know, like, kill all... I'm quarter Jewish. You, you shouldn't be able to say kill all the Jews. Um, you should not be able to incite violence. Uh, you should... It, go to 4chan does trump not realize 4chan exists hey trump go to 4chan that's oh but no he needs a recognition that it's him is his issue it's that's an ego thing for trump but that's a whole different topic i i don't think it's social media um if you want to create your own website or blog, which there's a billion different ones you can do for free. Go write that there. I don't think it should be on a social media platform. I actually appreciate, you know, on YouTube, uh, you can say things, but you're going to be demonetized if you. Well, say I've them. had videos pulled off YouTube. Oh, have you really? Oh yeah. That's why I'm. I'm. Wait for what? Free speech stuff oh. is what I would consider it, but they yeah. felt differently. Uh, oh, oh, I'm so curious. They, well, don't get, don't get this pulled. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But my, my problem with censorship just in broad strokes is the idea that if we go down that path, which you could make an argument, we should mm -hmm. to some regard, the point at which we stop and what gets censored has to be a decision made by somebody. And do we trust the person to make that decision? Because what if we agree with it today and then tomorrow it's used against us or tomorrow they push the line a little bit further or they do this or they do that All once right. you start implementing lines it's just it can devolve so quickly i mean that's almost a fallacy though like you know it, it's you should look at the twitter files i should you should I check should. out the twitter files because you the censorship i mean you had the dod you had the cia you had the fbi you had senators reaching out to twitter to get people pulled for things as simple as commenting on immigration, it, censorship, oh, really? yeah, censorship oh, okay. can get very uncomfortable yeah. very fast. Or at least for me, because, I mean, I'm trying to talk, and the idea that you get that speech limited I'm so in some curious what, why you got your videos pulled. Well, one, uh, YouTube, I have the love hate. So far, the only platform that has been fairly good and i will sing their praises as facebook believe it or not Interesting. i've had videos pulled on tiktok i've had videos pulled on youtube do they tell you why i mean tiktok's the worst one tiktok oh tiktok is so TikTok heavily regulated is so heavy-handed you can't so heavy-handed unalive yeah you have to 
say certain words otherwise. Ridiculous. Mascara. Like, what is that? That's the weirdest one for me. <laughs> no, I, can't. I was like, but does that scare I can't you? even use mascara. Why is that not sacred? Why, why is my makeup not sacred anymore? But does that scare you in a sense where you do this public thing and you are, you're putting it out into the world. And so the idea that that could be limited in scope, does that weigh on you at all? Uh, or not necessarily, I guess not necessarily because you're not really going super controversial. Would you say? I'm not really that controversial of a person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I have controversial views. I just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do I though? I I think I'm I'm fairly moderate, and I'm I try to focus heavily on logic. And even when I disagree with people, I go, okay, well, why do they think what they think? What is their background? Let me figure out what where they come from and how they could believe in something that I see as. You know, don't tell me you're a flat earther because I think, oh, my gosh, what, how, how, you know, and I have to go, okay, what mental illness does this person have or or something? And I mean, not just kidding, flat earthers. I don't know. Uh, sure, you have a huge audience of flat earthers listening right now. Though it's, I guess I'm just not that controversial. I, I can be, especially because... Uh, I mean, I consider myself a feminist. Uh, I'm also a traditionalist in a lot of ways. So it's this, I can I can piss off both sides really easily. It, you know, uh, I consider myself more, of a, more on the left wing of things, but moderate and try heavily science-based background, uh, just, you know, <laughs> like, if you were like, say something controversial, I'd be like, oh, uh, I don't know. A lot is not one word. Fight me on it. <laughs> Great. Now we're going to get pulled off YouTube. Right? Axe body spray is terrible. How about that one? I don't know if that's controversial anymore. It's, I still see men using I smell men using it. Grown men using Axe body spray. That's a problem for me. Problem. That's my. That's where my controversies go, though. That's my point. I'm like, well, I guess I'm just not. I'm a corporate entity's dream right here, I guess. I'm just so, I just want to well, please everyone. It's not bad to not be controversial. I don't think that's like a knock on you or yeah. anything. I guess like, I don't know. Everyone's controversial to somebody in some way. So, so do I care about censorship? Yes. Do, does it bother me that... I mean, the TikTok has its own rules. Twitter has its own rules. Facebook has its own rules. YouTube has its own rules. And then there's 4chan. Like, it, why... Like, there's other places on the internet that you can go and be if you want to reach other people, like, you got to find other ways. If you want to talk about certain things in certain ways. Because I feel like any topic is open for discussion except for Tiananmen Square. Well, in China. <laughs> There's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but if you try to put this on TikTok now, uh, you, well, yeah, you would not, it wouldn't go now because I said that. You're not even allowed to say the name of that. So it's, I think things should be spoken about. Okay. I don't want censorship to that level. 
Uh, I want us to be able to talk about the Ohio train derailment. Uh, I want to be able to talk about 9-11. You want a cultivated censorship. A cultivated censorship. I do think that it can be fair to have words that shouldn't be said if there's an audience. TikTok is a bunch of kids. Is it though? I feel like it's it's just everybody. It's now. every it's everybody for sure, but it's the newest one for kids. And now they're switching over. The kids are figuring out like, oh no, we can't be like the adults. So they're switching to something else. And I can't remember what it is, but I'm sure it'll be all over soon if it becomes popular. Um, you know, it's like Snapchat. I don't I don't think kids should have Snapchat. I think that should be 100. Like you have to be 18 plus to have Snapchat um, or have full parental controls accessed and parents get every photo sent. Like I, I, if I don't know, I just think if I had a kid in this world, like that's probably one of the many reasons I don't have a kid. Uh, one of the many, many, many reasons I do not have a kid is I just don't know how I would be able to handle this world with them being part of the social aspects that comes with being in this modern world while also protecting them. And so, you know, I mean, Club Penguin was really censored, too. You couldn't say anything on there. <laughs> and and that's where parents let their kids go and chat with everybody. And maybe there needs to be something specifically like kid talk that's just for kids, where everything is censored and wonderful and the world is in a hard place. Because the world should be small and censored for kids. It really should be. And I should also be able to go on a social media site and not have to look at things I don't want to look at. I don't want to look at dead animals um, un unless it's a steak. That I watch a lot of cooking shows. That's totally different and not what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I want to be able to go and and not see little kids, you know, if that makes sense. Like, I, I don't want to, like, things should be censored and banned and the FBI should be watching. <laughs> like, I, I really think FBI and CIA should absolutely be watching social media and be on the lookout for all the weirdos that are out there. And but we should also be able to talk about, yeah, curated, cultivated. Is that what you call it? Cultivated censorship. Yeah. That scares me. That's the idea of censorship just because I don't trust anyone to make that call. And especially when it regards to ideas. I think if you're an adult, you should be able to handle ideas you disagree with. And when we start. But as an adult, if if there wasn't the sense, I don't, again, I don't need to see naked people. I well, don't that need all to stems see from, weird things. That all stems from you could block accounts or you could not but follow those But I don't want to see it to begin accounts. with. But what if someone says, I don't want to see Tal V. Freed's Thursday Night Talk? Should they ban you from the platform or should they just not follow you? They can just not follow me. But there's only go see that. On, well, I guess OnlyFans is now banning nudity or something. I think that was a joke. Uh, maybe uh, or they were they were considering it at one point and then they backed down. Yeah, I think that, that was, was a while ago. Yeah, their entire joke. model is based off of that. <laughs> like, isn't that what that's good called? way to implode a business? Yeah, right. Which is funny because Instagram used to allow nude people on there. I think Twitter does. I think Twitter does. Yeah. Well, I don't want to see anybody naked without me being like, hey, get naked. So that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> and no, I don't follow. My logarithm is is very much uh, cats and food. Not in the same. Sometimes it is cats eating. <laughs> like, Will this cat eat a carrot? 
pretty cute. <laughs> it's, that's that's what I get on my feeds, and it's which is always hilarious too. Which this is just totally an off sort of off topic thing, but when when I talk to people. And they're like, TikTok is nothing but young girls jumping on trampolines, like half naked. And I'm like, oh, is it? So what are you looking up on when you're on TikTok? Because that doesn't show up for me. Um, so yeah, that says a lot more about the person. I love the algorithm. I do, I do have to say the algorithm's gotten so smart. And that's also another scary aspect, though. Why is it so smart? Why does it know so much about me that it knows that this random person I've never seen before that only has 12 videos has posted, you know, uh, a channel where they cook outdoors with their friendly parrot? Like, why does this know that that is perfect for me? There's a lot of scary things out there. Censorship. We're living in a weird time. Yeah. We're living in a very weird time. Watch now because my phone, everything's listening. So my phone later is going to be like, Oh, you're going to get ads. I found, well, no, I found a show for you where somebody just goes outdoors and cooks and with their parrot. I'm going to be like, Wow, that's it has to exist. Everything exists now on the internet. Yeah. It's all out there. Except for Humboldt trash. Well, <laughs> it might, it might pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, tell me, this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming <laughs> on and talking with me. You're, you're welcome. I'm glad to have been here. Do you uh, want to plug where people can find you, where they can find your show, all your stuff? Sure. Uh, Calvi Freed, find me on Facebook, I guess is an easy way. Um, I'm on Instagram, Lumi Poro, L-U-M-I-P-O-R-O. Thursday Night Talks, you can find on the Access Humboldt channel. You can always, uh, if you have any questions, comments, things like that, if you don't want to message me on Facebook or Instagram. You can message my producer. <laughs> uh, that would be uh, krfh at accesshumble.net or yeah, that will work. I should get my own. I should get like TNT at uh, TNT.com TNT, no. The Democratic Party owns Talvi.com or Talvifree.com Thanks, Democratic Party. Ruin it. Ruin it for everyone. <laughs> okay, well, Tavi, really thank you. I appreciated this. Cheers.